welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast is baseball coaching legend Ron Maestri. Coach Maestri is the ABCA Wilson Lefty Gomez Award recipient this year. This is the highest award that the ABCA gives out every year. Coach Maestri's footprint is all over the baseball industry. Over 16 seasons as head coach at the University of New Orleans, he had 543 wins and led UNO to the Division II and Division I World Series. He was inducted into the ABCA Hall of Fame in 1991. He carried dual athletic director head coach duties in his time at UNO. He's shown elite organizational skills with his work with the New Orleans Zephyrs, the New Orleans Sports Commission, and was instrumental in turning the College World Series into what it is today. This episode is a celebration of Coach Maestri and what he's meant to the baseball industry. Let's welcome Ron Maestri to the podcast. Here with Ron Maestri, 16 years as head coach at University of New Orleans, AD for 20 plus years, uh, 1991 ABCA Hall of Famer, 51 year lifetime member of the ABCA. This year's Wilson Lefty Gomez Award winner. So, Coach Maestri, thanks for coming on with me. I appreciate it, Ryan. Thank you. I'm very honored. You've been inducted into eight Hall of Fames. Does getting the Lefty Gomez Award feel any different? It does. Um, It's just uh, such a great honor and to be recognized by your peers. And it means so much more. It's uh, not only what you've done in baseball, but in your community and then even some of the international things that I've done. It's really a tribute to a lot of people that made this possible. You're originally from Illinois. Uh, you started your coaching career in high school and then at Bradley. So what drew you to New Orleans? Well, I, you know, I played at Bradley University. I am from, I'm from Highwood, Illinois. Went to Bradley, played at Bradley. And then my old coach hired me and I was an assistant at Bradley. And I was recruiting Actually, I was an assistant baseball, football, and then my last two years, I even did some recruiting in basketball. And I was in uh, Panama City, Florida, recruiting, watching uh, the Florida Junior College basketball tournament. Ron Green was the athlete and basketball coach at the University of New Orleans. We happened to be sitting next to each other, and he told me he went to Bradley for a semester and we had a long talk and he said, well, I might need a baseball coach. Would you be interested? Well, I, you know, you say, of course. Well, I went back to Peoria and I'm at Bradley and I got a call, come on down for a visit. And I really wasn't looking to leave, but I went down for a visit, um, came back and was convinced that I was going to stay at Bradley. Call a week later, you and your wife fly down and I've been here for since 1971. What were your biggest challenges when you showed up at UNO? Well, we had an open field, uh, no fence. You know, I call them lean-to for dugouts. You had four poles in the ground and a, uh, you know, a top over it. And uh, I had to buy a snow fence. 
didn't have a fence. Had to go, you know, they don't have snow fences in uh, New Orleans, so I had to go to the Sears catalog in Memphis, got a snow fence, put a fence around it, uh, played on that field for seven years, and then you get a call from your president, your chancellor, saying, we want to build you a new field. And it was a call that I'll, I'll never forget it. He said, we've been watching you and your players, and your players have really showed us that we need a facility and what you're doing. And uh, you don't hear that very often. And so we moved to the other campus and, uh, you know, it uh, that field now that's there is the same place, although it's been added on to over the years. It's a beautiful facility there. Had an opportunity to play there in college. Hey, your, your footprints all over baseball um, and, and especially in the state of Louisiana, you know, you coach there, AD, executive for the Zephyrs. Which one of those three jobs did you enjoy the most? Well, obviously, at UNO, um, you know, I, I was there, uh, I like to talk in my first life, I was there 30 years and then came back those two years the second time to help the program. But as a baseball coach and then as director of athletics for 21 years, um, had the uh, fortune, the good fortune to have a real good basketball program, hire some great coaches. We had a good all-around program, had a great facility. Um, I think that, that was the most challenging and uh, most rewarding part of it. Was it different being an executive? I mean, coming from the coaching and AD side, was it different or was it the same? You're still managing people. You're managing people. I, I don't think it's any different, Ryan. I, I think, you know, you treat people. I had the advantage of being a coach, having been an assistant and being a head coach. And um, having been at Bradley, been an assistant in baseball and football, and in basketball and have coached all three in high school. So I was around good coaches. You knew what coaches wanted. You knew what they needed. Uh, you knew you, you understood um, just the inner workings of the coaching profession. The AD's job was more, uh, you know, money, finances, raising money, uh, getting people behind the program. But I was fortunate to have some great coaches, uh, some great assistants, uh, athletic director, just good people. And they were, uh, we had some great years at UNO in our sports. How do you know when it's time to take another position? It seemed like you hit it right. Um, you know, anytime you needed to, to move to a different position, you hit that right. So what are some keys to, to finding another position? Well, in baseball, you know, I had 14 years, and my last four or five years, I mean, we just had great success, and we had some tremendous players, just some outstanding baseball players. Um, but I had also taken over as athletic director, and I mean, left it, it meant left you left the house at 7:30, 8 o'clock in the morning, and you didn't get home till 10, 11 at night, and uh, in that year, in those years, we were playing baseball. You could play as many games as you possibly. One year, we played about seventy ball games, I think. And along with your AD duties, it was just uh, getting to be uh, a lot of work. And we were in a process of hiring a new coach in basketball, and we had great success in basketball. And it was the one time we had a game and we were at Southern Miss and I had a coach coming in for an interview. And it's the only time that I missed the baseball game. My assistant took the team. And I, I said to myself, if I can't go out every day for a game, I'm not going to be a guy that just, you know, came out for practice every once in a while and showed up for the game. So I decided, you know, it was time just to, become that athletic director and it was tough, but I knew it was a time for what we needed at, uh, at the university at that time. 
And then, of course, when I retired, um, I had been there 30 years. Um, I, we founded the Sports Foundation, Dr. Merv Trail and myself. We had a board. The whole idea was bringing major sporting events to, uh, to New Orleans. I was the uh, co-executive director with Dr. Trail for the 87 Final Four, the 93 Final Four, the 2003 Final Four, the Women's Final Four in 91, a Women's Volleyball Final Four in 2002. So I was, when I left UNL, I went to uh, full-time with the Sports Foundation to manage uh, those events that we had secured and we had the volleyball final four coming and the men's final four. We also instituted in 2000, the, uh, new Orleans bowl. We, we created another bowl game to add, try to attract people to come right before Christmas to new Orleans, which was a dead time. So I was the first executive director of that bowl game, and it's flourished. It's still going, and it's going strong. But then I got a call from baseball from the owner of the uh, AAA New Orleans Zephyrs at that time, and would I be interested? Well, baseball was my first love. I said I might. I came to North Carolina for an interview in Hickory, North Carolina, and I took the job, and I was there nine years, and I really enjoyed that. Then I got called to come back. UNO went through a tough time after Katrina. We had 17,000 students prior. They were down to 8,000, all kinds of problems. They were talking about dropping baseball, athletics. Um, they changed an athletic director. They called and said, would you come back for two years? And I did. So, you know, it was a time, each, each, each move that I made, it, it, it was a good time. And it was always something that I really enjoyed. So uh, I never regret that. Are, are there any similarities between 2005 Katrina and what everybody went through the last year and a half with COVID? Yeah, a lot of suffering. Uh, we just went through Ida, and uh, believe me, um, I was here for Katrina, although we evacuated to Houston, my family. Uh, came back to utter devastation. Um, we just went through, and I stayed. I'm sitting here in this chair, and I'll never do it again. It was terrifying. 70-mile-an-hour uh, sustained winds for seven hours and we had gusts of 101. Uh, we were very fortunate here, my family. Uh, I had put in an in-home generator, so we had power. We lost some shingles, but some people just got absolutely devastated and they're still going through it. So yeah, there's just tremendous suffering. You see people that uh, are living in homes that have half a roof or you know, the house is leaking. Uh, they got water in the house, flooded. Uh, they're living in the house. In the, in the morning's paper, they just said uh, they've had a bunch of trailers set in. And I can't imagine what these people are going through. I can't imagine because I've seen it firsthand. You know, and, and for people that don't know, I mean, you and O, the baseball team, and I don't know how many other athletes went to New Mexico State, correct, for that fall to practice and get school in? Yeah, Tom Walters was our coach at that time. And uh, Tom, uh, New Mexico State took in the team. I mean, everything. They went to class, didn't pay for anything, housing, food. It was incredible. They were there for a semester and came back, and it was it was brutal trying to find housing. You had some in a hotel. Some were trying to get back to their apartments. Tom and his staff did it, and those kids did a tremendous job of staying together, competing, and, uh, you know, moved on after that. And then, of course, Tom left. He's at Wake Forest and has done a tremendous job there. 
I do want to back up, um, you know, 1974, it's college division, but yeah, take UNO to the World Series. So talk a little bit about that 1974 team. Wow. Uh, that, that team, um, we had a combination of, you know, I'm from Illinois, we recruited some kids from Illinois, we had some great kids from this area, from New Orleans. It was a team that we had great um, you can say parental leadership. The local kids, we had some great parents that would have crawfish boils, that would have crab boils, would take the kids that came from Illinois and Wisconsin, take them under the wing on weekends. We'd have crawfish boils. We had a great team, uh, good chemistry. All of a sudden, we're in a regional. We're playing Nickel State. We had to beat them twice. We beat them twice, and now we're at the World Series. Uh, we go to the World Series. We win a game. We get beat by Cal Irvine. Um, just uh, they had they had won thirty some thirty four, thirty two ball games in a row. They had and they had beaten everybody: USC, UCLA. Gary Adams, that eventually became coach at UCLA, was their coach. Um, we won another game. We had to play him again. We beat him. So now it goes down. They got, they had that loss. We had a loss and we played for the championship game. We scored a run in the first inning. We got beat 14 to one. We didn't have any more pitching, but a great ball club. Unfortunately, uh, we've lost a few of those guys and, we have one young man right now who just went up to visit in Rockford, really struggling with throat cancer. And uh, we get together on Fridays uh, for coffee. There's four or five of our players from that ball club every Friday. We'll, tomorrow I'll send out the emails today. And we have coffee and we talk about old times. Just great people. Good, good, solid people. But that was uh, that was really gave us the momentum on campus, and really the chancellor that hired me, Doctor Hit, just got behind us, and it was that team that really created the momentum for our program. What years did you guys transition to Division One? Seventy-seven. Um, you know, we were LSU of N uh, NO. Louisiana State University, New Orleans. The kids always used to kid me. What are our hats going to say? And we were on the lakefront campus. So it was LSUNOLFCP. They said, Coach, they won't fit on a hat. And so we had LSUNO on the jersey. And when we went to Division I, we didn't have a lot of money. We just took off the LSU, and that's when we went to New Orleans. And <laughs> New Orleans offset. And they always kid me about that. But uh, the year we went Division One, we played in the in the Division One regional in Arlington, um, and Baylor was uh, was the was the ball club at that time. And uh, that's the year I had my catcher was Brian Snicker, the manager of the Atlanta Braves. Uh, that we're going to watch again. They won it four years in a row. He was a catcher, and we had a pitcher, Roger Erickson, who pitched in the big leagues with the Twins and uh, the Yankees and uh, had a solid ball club and uh, got beat. But uh, it just the next year, 78-79, uh, just some outstanding players and had great records and just – couldn't get over the hump in the regional. Well, what allowed you guys in 84 then to get over the hump to, to make it? You know, it, it was one of those things where you, you know, you say you always want to get back and sometimes you got everybody there and you don't do it. And it's always, and I'll tell people, I told Paul Maneri to play for me and he said, Mace, we had that team in 79. We should have won it. And we just did. And I said, well, don't be surprised. Some year you're going to go when you don't really count on it. That 84 team, we had Jim Bollinger to pitch for the Cubs. He was my shortstop, was a freshman. 
And I had Wally Whitehurst that pitched in the big league, the Mets. And we had Roger Fire Higgins that had 24 home runs for us that year. We're at Mississippi State. We win one to nothing, Appalachian State. We get beat by Mississippi State. We got to beat North Carolina in the morning that had Surhoff and Weiss and all those guys. And then that night, we had to beat South Carolina. We win both of them. Mississippi State lost the game. So now we got to play them at Mississippi State. Well, Palmero, Thigpen, Brantley, Clark, we beat them 6-3 to three, uh, to go to the World Series. And it was just uh, incredible. You know, speaking of Omaha, you did a lot um, for the city and for the College World Series. Can you just talk a little bit about all the, the you know, scheduling and just everything you did during the World Series in Omaha? You know, I had six years. I think committee assignments were six years. And I got on the baseball committee, and I thought it was the neatest experience. We had the responsibility. We'd get together as a committee, select the teams. And then we'd go to Omaha and actually administer the event. And, you know, I was six years, and I think I was chair the last year or two. Met some great people, the Deesings, uh, Mr. Deesing, who was still there, who founded the World Series, and then Jack, his son, who took over. Uh, met all those people, the, the aldermans, the, the mayors that were there. Uh, how much they wanted that, how much the people came out for those games. We asked for so much, and every year as a committee, we asked them to do things. They, they added on to the stadium. They put in new seats. They built a new press box. Uh, just incredible people. Um, had a great committee. It was, I enjoyed I was there 13 days and it was 13 days that I always look forward to every year because of the people there, how warm uh, they made you feel. There was nothing that they, 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 they just did everything. And it's still that way today. They still have that leadership there and it's just a great event. And I have so many friends that said, I've never been to, I said, well, you need to go to the World Series, the College World Series in Omaha. And, of course, they built a new facility, and it's uh, it's just the best. You know, we've had a string of guests that have their uh, stadium named after them. I mean, what does it mean for you to, to go to Ron Maestri Stadium on campus? It's really neat, uh, Ryan. Uh, I think you appreciate it more as years go by. And uh, I'm, I'm very honored. You know, when I got the call from Craig about this award, uh, to me, it's about the opportunity to thank everybody that made it possible. And, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. Um, it's not about me. It's about the people that I've had great, you know, I've had some great players. I've had two major league managers, Mike Quaddy, the Cubs, now with Brian Snitker, Randy Bush, who's assistant GM of the Cubs, such a uh, pulmonary, Timmy Jamison, it was coach of Missouri, just some great people overall. And they made it possible. And I had great leadership from uh, our founding chancellor, Chancellor Hitt, who's no longer with us, but the administration back then said, you know, Mace, we don't have a lot of money, but won't we find some money? I'll never forget when that call came. He said, now we're not going to build you. We're just going to put a fence up. We're going to put the field in. The next year he said, well, we need more seats. I said, we need lights because we can make money if we have lights. We'll find out how much they cost. Well, they put them in. The next year, well, we need more seats. And well, they put more seats in. It was just uh, and it was a credit to the players in what they in what they were doing and how they conducted themselves. Because that call when he said, I've been watching, you've got some fine people, they're good citizens, uh, that said a lot. Hey, did you teach Augie Schmidt how to hit? 
No, Augie Schmidt taught me how to win games. <laughs> That's a, uh, never forget that story. My dad was uh, my dad was my recruiter. My dad played a lot, uh, played a lot of baseball, and back in those days. But uh, he was a recommendation scout up in the Chicago area for the Pirates. And he would see everybody. And the fact that some of the scouts up there, the old timers would say, your dad sees more games than we do. But he told me, he said, you got to come up here. You got to see this player. And there was a player at Bloom High School that one of my teammates was coaching there. The day I knocked on Augie Schmidt's door, it was after his high school season. And uh, they were playing and was up in Milwaukee in a summer league. He had on a batting helmet and his uniform, and when he opened the door, I said, he can play. I'm not kidding you. Watched him play. I said, can you come down for a visit? It was during the draft. And I had scouts calling me. Are you trying to hide him out? I said, no, he's here for 48 hours. He's coming home. Thank God Cincinnati drafted him in the fifth round. They had some supplemental rounds. Otherwise, he'd have been high. He came with us and uh, just had a great career. Hey, when you said he taught you how to win, I mean, uh, what were some of the things that stuck out about him? I know he's competitive. He and I worked camps together, and I know how comp- – even now he's still ultra-competitive. Uh, but just, I mean, when you say that, he taught you how to win, what do you mean by that? He just uh, – you know, he captured the little kids. I mean, guys are growing up today that I know. Hey, I remember watching Augie Schmidt. He was at the, – the, the young people at that time – that are, are older now, you should see some of the pictures. I mean, he was so likable. They wanted autographs. He'd talk to them. He'd hug them. He'd be around them. Uh, they were calling Augie, Augie. He, uh, he had a remarkable career, uh, not just on the field. I mean, he could do so many things. Second overall pick, won the Golden Spikes Award, uh, but was such an engaging person. And like I said, when I'm here and I'll be out and somebody said, oh, Mace, I remember those teams with Augie Schmidt. That comes up all the time. And I tell Augie, you know, Augie sometimes said, man, we let you down. I never got to the big leagues. I said, how could you let us down? He was an All-American, Golden Spikes Award winner, second pick in the country. What he accomplished here for us at UNO, my goodness, very few people have the kind of career that he's had. Just a tremendous guy. Hey, what did it mean to you to have Paul Maneri so close to you down there? Well, Paul and his dad, Doc Maneri. Doc, I knew and recruited a lot of his players, and I recruited Randy Bush. And Randy's coming and played for Doc, and I get a call from Paul. Paul had gone to LSU as a freshman, left as a freshman and went by played for Doc at the junior college in Miami-Dade. And I got a call one day and it was Paul and he said, uh, Coach Maestri, I'm in town to see my girlfriend and I was wondering if I come by and stop and talk to you about maybe coming to UNO. Well, when Randy came in for a visit, I took him to the chart house downtown for dinner. When Paul came in, I said, Paul, he just came in unannounced, and we went across the Taco Tico, and he always kids me. He said, I guess I wasn't as important as Randy Bush. But he played for his dad. Uh, he was a coach on the field. He had, you know, it, Paul would be, he didn't have all the talent, although he was a good player. But he could do the little things. He could bunt because he dad taught him the proper way to bunt. He knew the different situations. He'd pick my mind even when I'm saying, why'd you do this, Mace? He could hit and run. He did all the little things. And then his personality is such that uh, you knew he was going to coach. Started at St. Thomas, went to the Air Force, went to Notre Dame. And then when this job opened here, I said, Paul, Mace, what do you think? I said, you know, you follow Skip up there, although he didn't follow him directly. But you're only good as your last game at LSU. And then he did a remarkable job there. 
And we just played golf Monday. We had our uh, alumni golf tournament, and uh, he's playing a lot of golf. He's pretty darn good now. Is he? My dad's game's gotten great since he's been done. Hey, what's the best advice you ever got? Best advice I ever got was uh, coming to going to the World Series in 1984. Frank Torrey, Joe's brother. Frank was a good friend, a real good friend. And I get the call. And he said, congratulations, you're going to the World Series. He said, let me give you a little advice. Go up there and enjoy it. Don't be tight. Just go up there and have fun. Well, play hard, but have fun. And I can honestly tell you, now, we didn't win it. We get beat by Texas the first game, Swindell. We get beat 6-3. to three. We beat Michigan. I mean, we beat them 12-5. Now we got Oklahoma State. We got them. We get beat in extra innings. But the athletes that were in, the major leaguers that were in that World Series, I mean, my goodness. But that advice, I had more fun. I think I was loose. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the kids. And it was great advice. Enjoy it. Have fun. And too many times I've seen the guys and you get up there and you're all uptight Players are uptight, and I can honestly say our kids, we didn't win it. Maybe that's part of the reason, but uh, no, they enjoyed it. We were loose, and we played well. Robin Ventura and Steve Balboni on those Oklahoma State teams? No, Venturi wasn't. Uh, Ventura wasn't, but uh, they had the center field that played for the Cubs. They had so many players. John Farrell was the pitcher that, that managed the Red Sox that beat us that game. Um, but yeah, uh, Gary Ward, uh, great coach, great coach with, uh, you know, Cliff Gustafson was at, uh, Texas. I mean, my goodness, we had Augie Fullerton won it that year, had Miami with Ron Frazier. I mean, it was a who's who of coaches and some of the great, I mean, Odeby McDowell was playing. Barry Bonds was playing for Arizona State. I mean, the athletes there were – it's incredible. What was the worst advice you ever got? Oh, I don't know. I don't know if there was any – the worst advice. Um, I remember one incident that, that really – when I was at UNO, there were tough years when I first got there. I say tough years. Facility-wise, I didn't have an assistant for seven years. I was by myself. And we had that field. Believe me, it was a day-to-day. We'd have, we'd have Dwayne Banks from Iowa, Duffy Bass from Illinois State, Gene McCarter from Missouri. We'd have a tournament in UNO. And we'd, we didn't have lights. We'd start at 10 o'clock in the morning. We'd just play each other. I didn't have an assistant. I was fixing the field, dragging the field, marking the field, filling in the mound, doing it, playing games. And uh, I remember we played Mississippi State, and they had a great old coach, the old-timer there. They also had an assistant. They came down, and our field had been wet. I said, we'll take some batting in the outfield. And this guy's screaming at me, the assistant, your Bush Lee Egan. You know, I went, to, we got beat and I went into the shed and I had a little shed there where I kept the tractor and everything. And I said, you know, that's, uh, that's, I'm going to remember that for a long time. And when we, when we beat them at Starkville before 12,000 people hanging all over and you beat Clark, you beat, <laughs> you beat uh, Palmero, Thigpen and Brantley, that, that, that had a good feeling. It wasn't any bad advice, but it was just a bad moment to kind of spur you on. Do you have a fail-forward moment? Do you have something that you thought was going to sidetrack you along the way, but looking back now was one of the best things that happened to you? You know, I, I got frustrated there for a while. Um, I never thought about serious about getting out of coaching. Uh, but I was doing everything, and uh, – you know, I was, I got to the point I'm saying, you know, back then I think I was making $12,000, you know, and you got a family and you're wondering, 
you know, how far is this going to go? Um, the only time that I ever thought Frank, uh, Frank Torrey was working for Rawlings at that time and said, I want to interview you. We got a sales position uh, in college sports. You'd call on colleges and up in Illinois. And that. I went out for an interview. And uh, I, I knew in the interview, this is not what I want to do. And so I came back and I said, you know, if I'm coming back, then I got to just do whatever I got to do to make it work. And it, it really was a moment that I said, you know, it might not be the greatest here, but I got to, we just got to keep at it. And we did it. And that's when I got the call and the chancellor says, you never know who's watching you and you know, it was a very positive situation and things just turned around on the dime. You know, you and I have talked about the danger of the sun. Can you talk a little bit to coaches out there and maybe give us some tips on, on trying to stay safe with, with Dion, how much we're out in the sun? Yeah, Ryan, it's something that uh, I'm, I'm preaching on now. You know, for all the years that we were coaching back then, and we didn't have a lot of the sun sunscreen and everything and and nobody thought we'd be without our hat i'm an italian and i dark skin and i said you know i'd never get a skin cancer i never had one all the years and about four years ago i had something in my ear and i was picking at it i went to the doctor and i had a basal cell cancer and i had the most surgery and it was pretty deep I got a staph infection, was in the hospital, and then got sepsis. And then I had a year after that, I had another one cut off the side of my ear. And now I'm going through radiation on a bridge of my nose and on the side. And it might not get you when you're young, but I think eventually, and particularly today, and I tell my head coach out there, Blake Dean, he wears the big floppy hat all day in practice. And I, I'm, I'm convinced, I don't know why in practice, all the players couldn't wear a floppy hat, but for sure to wear a sunscreen. Um, it's, uh, it's there. Uh, I can attest to it. I never thought it had happened, but uh, it's happening now. So to all you young coaches or all coaches, make sure you use the sunscreen and wear a hat and have a checkup if you have any suspicion of any kind of an outbreak on your face or any part of your body. Yeah, my dad's been through the same thing as well. So I, I always wear a floppy hat and I wear long sleeves and pants usually um, if I'm out in the sun, just try to protect myself a little bit more also. Hey, is golf your routine? I know, I know that's my dad's. Like, that's his routine. Do you, do you have a morning or evening routine that you go to? Is golf your routine, or do you have some other routines that that you do? Because you seem like you're in great shape, have great energy. You know, what are some of the routines that you have every day that you like? Well, when I got done after my second term at UNO, you know, I got there. I was 75, so I was 77, and I said, you know. It's about time that I take care of myself physically. And I got into, I got into a pool and I got into jogging in a pool and water jogging. And I was at the health club. I was on the treadmill and I'm walking back to the locker room and it said water exercise class. Well, I said, you know, I don't know about this, but I'm gonna try it. And I went in there and there were four other ladies and myself. And I did it for a year, and it was awesome. Uh, the exercise, I said, oh, am I going to be sore tomorrow? Never was. Um, and so my routine now is, and I've got the pool right out back here in the summertime. I get up, have a light breakfast, and I'd go out, and i do, you know, 2,000 steps is a mile. So I was doing 4,000, 4,100 steps in the pool. And I jog and I have the styrofoam weights and I do a little, you know, do little pull downs and flies and do some crunches in the water. I won't do a sit up on the floor, but in the water, it's easy. Um, my weight is the best it's been. 
outside of um, knock on wood, I, you never know, but I, I feel good. And it's been a routine. And I'll tell people when you retire, you need to have if you like golf. And I love golf. I'm a fisherman. Um, I love to fish. I have property up the lake in Mississippi. Great bass fishing. Um, it's an hour and 15 minutes from here. We got the best saltwater fishing in the world here. Speckled trout, redfish. But uh, I love golf. My back since I've been in the pool is better. And I played. I want to play a little more when it cools off. But just to get out and exercise. I don't care what I shoot. Uh, just to get the physical and keep moving. So, yeah, my routine is... It's too cool out to go in the pool here. UNL has a beautiful rec center. I've been going out there. I joined there. So I'm trying to do three to four times a week. Um, get that exercise in. I feel good when I do it. Um, yes, a routine is important. I talked to Paul. Paul's into golf. And the other day, he's crushing the ball. But... He said, Mace, I'm going out, I'm practicing, I'm playing. Uh, yeah, when you, when you retire, you have to have something. And just as a big leaguer, they got a hitting routine or a pitching routine. When you retire, you need to get into something that you really enjoy. And I'm enjoying it, and it's beneficial for my health. So my routine is try to get in that pool as much as I can. Yeah, that's a Japanese term, Aikigai. Uh, it's, it talks about longevity and, and what gets you out of the bed in the morning. But when they do research on, on people that live longer, uh, they're always active uh, throughout the entire course of their career. That might even be staying in the job that they're in uh, until they pass away. So that, like, that's one of the keys to longevity is trying to stay as active as, as you can. Well, you know, Ryan, I said I never wanted to retire. And when I got 65, I was just going. And then when I came back to you and I was 75. And after the two years there, I said, hey, I want to enjoy my grandkids. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think if you love something that, you, that you're doing, stay with it. But when you retire, have something. I volunteered until COVID hit um, at the uh, World War II Museum uh, downtown. And what a thrill that is. And uh, volunteered down there. One of my former players, George Perez, and I, we went down. Uh, then COVID hit. And I've been a little bit leery because even though I've been vaccinated twice and I got my booster now, my third, I just still, I wear my mask. And just, you're around so many people down there. And they understood. Uh, they're back open. Uh, I'd still like to go down and do it, but I want to really feel that I'm safe. Um, you, you talk about getting motivated. Go down there and see those World War II veterans and 95 years old and telling their stories. And it's just when people come, if you come to New Orleans, you owe it to yourself to go down there and see it. What a beautiful facility. And to see those people and what they meant to our country, it's just, uh, it motivates you. Quick break for another one of our sponsors, Mark Pro. That is M-A-R-C Pro. Personally, I used it as a coach for my ragged out BP arm and legs after a tough workout. We saw huge benefits with our pitchers and position players in decreased soreness and recovery time. It's an amazing machine that speeds up the recovery process by getting blood flow back to the areas that need it. It's durable and cost-effective. The Mark Pro needs to be a tool in your peak performance toolkit. I can't recommend it enough. Hit me up if you have any questions. Order now on markpro.com and use the promo code ABCA to get 10% off. Now back to the podcast. Speaking of stories, do you have a favorite ABCA convention story? Yeah, I, you know... Nashville, I was going up an escalator and Bill Arce, longtime coach of Claremont, California, was coming down, Hall of Fame, ABCA Hall of Famer. He said, Mace, I want to talk to you. So I got to the top and came back down. He said, can you come to Italy? I need a, I need a clinician. 
And I had never been to Italy and it was something my dad came from Italy when he was three years old. And they were born in the northern part of Italy, up by Bologna. And I said, sure, I can go. And I was over there and Bill said, Mace, I'm, Bill was 70 some years old and he started the, the, you know, the international sports group. He was doing clinics in the Netherlands and France and Germany. He said, would you take over the Italy part? Be the, you know, the coordinator. And so for 18 years, up until COVID, I'd been bringing from the Joe Girardis to the Larry Rothschilds to Sal Bandos to Gene Tanachi, all these guys over there. And it's just been a wonderful, wonderful experience. But that was at the ABC in Nashville. Never forget around 85, somewhere in there, late 80s. And uh, Bill just did a tremendous job. Tom O'Connell now is our president. Uh, I just joined the board last year. And uh, what they do for international baseball is incredible. And uh, I'm hoping uh, we were there in 19 or was it 20, right? When COVID started. And I swear, I know it was there. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Marco Sforza comes to the convention. He said, Mace, we're going to do it in Rome. And I had met Marco, and Marco said no. And I had Brian Snitker and Derek Sh uh, Johnson from the Reds, pitching coach. They came over, and we had the greatest time I have ever had in 18 years. And I've been all over Italy because they're everywhere in the Italian Baseball Federation. Uh, it's been an enjoyable experience, great coaches. They try so hard over there. Soccer's really big. They've done a good job. Mike Piazza's a national coach now. They're getting a little better, uh, but going over there and trying to help and listening to the young coaches and, you know, I'll always ask, what do you really want to hear? What do you need? And somebody will say, well, we only have one hour to play on a playground once a week. And how do we, well, you got to get organized. And how do you get organized? And you say it should be fun. It should be. And, you know, I've always said I'd like to do a film. I had my grandkids. How do you make it fun? You watch these kids go out now. They're young. They put them out. If you're not good, they put you in right field. Down here, it's 95 degrees. You might get a bat one time. The ball's over your head. The umpire's calling it a strike. They don't like it. So I took the grandkids out, and I had a tee, and I put twigs on it. And I had a red wiffle ball, and I said, this is an apple tree. Chop it down. They had a ball. They were swinging a bat. I picked up a ball. I got behind a pitching screen. I said, try to hit grandpa on the face. They were picking up the ball and throwing it. And I said, we need to come up with some drills like that. Uh, like the old basketball drill, the, the three man weave. You're just tossing a baseball to each other to get eye hand coordination. Things that make it fun instead of just going out there, Hey, you get three swings, you go out there and you stand. Uh, I think that's what we really need to make these kids enjoy the game. Yeah, you can design practice plans for that age group where it's five minutes and move on to the next thing. And you yep. can you can get them swinging the bat with everybody out there, but running the bases, playing defense. That you, you can get creative with that age group. My, my son's about to be 19 now, but I would just go help with practice. And that's the youth practice plans we had. We, we'd get, be out there for an hour and a half, but it felt like about 30 minutes because we were doing one thing for five minutes and moving on to the next thing. And, um, you know, it takes some planning, uh, yeah. but if, if you do that, they're going to enjoy it and they're going to want to come back and they're going to want to keep playing. You could have 15 kids. You got three T's. You can make the T's. You get three parents. You play soft toss, they get more swings than they get their whole summer in 15 minutes. But you're right. You can't be creative. 
Hey, I worked construction with Joe Girardi's dad my freshman summer of college because Joe's dad and my godfather, George Girardi, owned a, a construction company. So I played in Bloomington Normal. Fort Duffy Bass was the GM of the Twin City Stars. Uh, but that was my freshman summer. I would work for uh, for Joe's dad and, and my godfather building apartment buildings and then go play in the afternoons and then go lift after that. So it was a, a great summer. Um, Joe's dad was a phenomenal person. He was a phenomenal person. How about this story? I coached at Spalding High School. And one of my players was Tom Kahn, K-A-H-N. We call him the dude. Tom played football. I'd coached assistant football coach, sophomore basketball coach, but I was the baseball coach. Tom played for me. I'm at New Orleans. Mace, I got a player that can really play. Who's that? Joe Girardi. I said, fine. I knew all my people in because I was at Bradley. Called people. He can play. Joe, I'd like you to come down for a visit. Joe came down. He said, Mace, I'd like to bring my mom and dad. I said, well, of course, we can't pay for it. No, no, we know that, but they're coming down. I sat in the office, and his dad said, you know, Mace, you and I went to Bradley together. I said, you got to be kidding. Now I remember we were in, I remember at the UC sitting there, and his dad was, I think, a little older than me, he had been in the military. Um, needless to say, Joe went to Northwestern, where awesome friends today. Uh, Joe went to Italy the one year, he and his wife and his little daughter, Serena. I think she was like two years old. He put on the best catching clinic that I've ever seen. He had his shin guards on, he had his face mask on, he was diving on the floor, blocking balls. Just a great guy, great guy. But his dad, and I went to school and we sat in my office and boy, if I could have had him at that time, uh, we would have been pretty, no, we were good, but we would have been real good. Hey, what have you enjoyed about doing the ABCA Hall of Fame committee? My goal when I got on the committee was to get people that really deserve to be, that were Hall of Famers in my area. And, you know, we have people, Division One, Division Two people, Division Three, NAIA, junior college, high school. All these are represented on this committee. And I really take it as a, a duty for me in this area to think of people that are really deserving and just having seen the people that I've nominated as one person, as you know, you need three nominations, but to initiate that nomination and then to see those, those coaches get rewarded as being in the hall of fame. And I take it very seriously because I know how important it is. It was to me, but more importantly, how much, how important it is not only to that coach, his family and his school. Uh, I'm getting a reward this year for the Lefty Gomez Award, but Roger Cater and Coach Robichaux, God bless him, who's no longer with us, two outstanding coaches. And I nominated Robe. I wrote one of the letters for Roger, and to see them being rewarded uh, is really special. It, it really is. And uh, each year, it's a, you know, people say, what's the process? I, I had my, when I walked in my first meeting and I saw the process and how fair it is, it's a silent vote. It's not like you can be in there and say, hey, Ryan, let's you and I No, And you got to have 75% of the vote. Uh, there's like 17 of us. You got to have 12 votes or 13 votes to get in. Um, we go over each individual. I mean, we get reams and reams of papers and clippings and what it means. And then to be at that Hall of Fame induction and to see what it means to those coaches and their families. 
in the schools and what it really means to their community to have a Hall of Famer. Um, it's a big responsibility, and I take it very seriously. Was Is there anything for college baseball or college athletics that you'd like to see going forward? Oh, geez. You know, this. Uh, I'm not a fan of this uh, transfer portal. Only from uh, I'm done coaching, but I see the mid-majors, and all of a sudden we work real hard, and we get a kid and wasn't highly recruited, and he has a great year as a freshman, and all of a sudden now people are talking to him, and he enters the transfer portal, and now he's at a major Division One school. And I know from our coach out of UNO right now, I know there's three or four guys I know names that are no longer at their Southland Conference schools. They're at major schools. And I, I just, I don't, I understand, you know, the NCAA, the student athlete. Uh, I just think when you make a commitment, whether you're a coach, you make a commitment to your student athlete, or whether you're a student athlete, you make a commitment to your university. That should be solid. And um, I just don't, there's so much poaching going on. Uh, I just don't think it's good for the game. The hard part for the kid that they're not going to figure out until after they leave is that you're going to a brand new situation. It doesn't always mean that's going to work out either. And you've developed some relationships with your coaches. You've developed relationships with the with your teammates. Now you're having to go do that all over again. And, um, you know, the coaches I – the team place I coached at, I did have some guys leave and – Quite a few of those guys regretted those decisions to to leave uh, because you know the grass isn't always greener. No, and, and that's so true, as we all know. And I've seen I've seen young men that have gone on and they thought it was greener, and then didn't get to play, and then regretted it. But uh, times have changed. I guess I'm an old timer. Um, I just there's so many things today that I think. I think we got great kids. I think we've got good leadership, but we got so many things. I think kids have so much more on their plate today than maybe they had when I was coaching. And I worry about those things. Yeah, it's tough being a parent right now. I have an 18-year-old and a 16-year-old, and it, it, it's hard. They're, uh, they're dealing with a lot more issues, um, political education, sports, um, than we ever had to do, you know, and they're dealing with a lot more from a social media standpoint. It's just, there, there's so much instant access and, and a lot of quick trigger things that, you know, you, you see information so quick that, you know, your, your first reaction is that it's true. Well, and then you circle back on it. It may or may not be true. And it's that we're in a, we're all in a, in a really tough situation right now with, with what's going on. Well, you see, you know, I and Paul just retired and had a great career. And uh, I would talk to Paul. Paul would call weekly, just checking up, and we'd, we'd talk. But what a head coach. And I know Blake out of UNO. I go out there all the time. COVID hits. Oh, my goodness. The protocols that you go through and – you don't know if they're going to be here one game, the next game, or practice is called off. You can't meet in the locker room. They're at the dorm. Oh, it's just, let alone, you got a kid, and all of a sudden you have your exit interviews, and he says, he was injured all year. You kept him on scholarship. He comes in the exit interviews, great kid, got healed. His knee is healed, and he said, Coach, I'm transferring to – an ACC or an SEC school. They got a lot on their plate. Coaching is just a small part of it. Community service is big today. I think Blake's club last year was one of the leader in the country. And heavens knows we got community service. They're out, they're out at helping people gut their homes here now on weekends um, from the hurricane. They're going into places where you know, quite honestly, I'll tell Blake, tell the kids to be careful, wear shoes, don't step on a nail, don't get, you know, don't get wounded. 
but they're out helping people. So they got community service. Um, you got social justice. You got seminars. You got COVID. You got to lift weights. You got to go to study hall. They got a lot on their plate, Brian. And I remember my son was a good player and went to TCU, played two years, and he said, Dad, I hope I don't make you mad. I, it's, I love this place. He just was back for a reunion. But he said, I'm not going anywhere. I want to get my degree. He got his law degree. He's assistant U.S. attorney downtown. But the point being, he said, I'd go to class. I'd get out of class. I'd run the practice or try to get a bite to eat, go to practice, get done, lift weights. We had study hall. And you start it over again. And you know it is. That's what it is. Now put COVID. Now we want them doing community service. A young player today that's an athlete, and then people will say, well, how hard is it to be a, an athlete? And you got the GPA. You know, everybody's graded. We're placing a lot. We're putting a lot on these kids' plate, let alone the scrutiny on the social media. You're in a big time program, you have a bad game and you got people just railing on you from the time you start to the time you finish. It's, it's something that we all ought to be concerned about. And I go out and I see these young kids and boy, they're young, they're bright, they're, they're smart, they're energetic, they're talented. Oh my goodness. Some of the kids you see coming in today, um, but it is tough, and we have to be aware of some of the things you're going through, but by the same token, I don't think we can just relent on all these other things that we're passing and letting it fly. I don't know. I guess I'm getting too old. Well, there's still a place for accountability. You know, it's, yep. a, it's a different generation, but, but there's still a place in society, whether it's sports or out, where accountability still matters, because if not... Once you lose that accountability in anything, um, it's not going to be good. And character. The character and the accountability. Two huge things. The thing I'm most proud of, not the W's and L's, but the guys that I've had and what they're doing, my goodness. You know, Paul and Randy and Snit and um, John Groth uh, was at Temple Community College. He, he has one of those athletes in action that plays in Alaska, John does still. And guys, we have coffee, uh, Joe Bennett, COO, retired at Pikewater Marine. Those kids, they're just great people. And we got a lot of them today. And those are the guys that are going to be leading this country. And we've got to stay with it in baseball. We got to let them know the W's and L's. I mean, in your power conferences now. My goodness, uh, somebody's going to lose and somebody's going to win. And you're placing so much emphasis on the W's and L's. There's so many good people there that, hey, you know, some years are going to be tough, but today tough doesn't go. And uh, unfortunately, we lose some good coaches just because W's and L's aren't, you know, where they should be. What are some final thoughts or anybody else you haven't thanked yet? Well, I want to thank the ABCA and uh, the committee, uh, the Lefty Gomez committee, and just all my coaches and the high schools and the Bradley University, University of New Orleans. I've been here my, my, my this has been my whole life. My kids were here. Uh, I pride myself, you know, I coached everything. I, I, Turned down two. I I was recruited two Division One schools to be a an assistant basketball coach, and you know I always thought I said you know a lot more money, but by the same token I wouldn't have traded it for a world. But I've been blessed. I've been here, and I've seen coaches that have been in one place one year, another place another year. The families are torn up. My kids were born and raised here. I was here, you, you, you know, you're not out of town. You got your recruiting, but it's not like you're pulling up roots every year. So I've been blessed. Two great kids, 
six, four great grandkids, great wife. Uh, I'm blessed. And, and I got all these kids I call to call up and check on me, former players. And it's, uh, it's very humbling. It really is, Ryan. And it, it's those things that when you're, when you're young and you're trying to get it going and you're thinking about how important it is to be Illinois State or Iowa or somebody, it doesn't mean a whole lot. <laughs> those relationships and, you know, Duffy's gone now. Dwayne's still here and Gene McCarter and I see him, Dwayne and Gene are on the ABCA Hall of Fame. Those relationships and those games and those kids, that's what it's all about. And uh, I treasure those the most. Once a year, get to go to the ABCA and see all the old timers and talk about the fun we used to have and laugh. Oh, my goodness. That's what it's all about. Thanks for your time, Coach. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate what you're doing and give my best to your mom and dad. Congrats to Coach Maestri on winning the Lefty Gomez Award. It was great to reconnect with him. I've got great memories of my interactions with him growing up. My dad would always seek him out so I could have an opportunity to pick his brain over the years. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABCA office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter and TikTok, CoachB underscore ABCA, Instagram, RyanBrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.